All right, Dylan. It is 5.41 a.m. East Coast time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at my dial on the car here. We've got an empty gas tank. And also, for whatever reason, the tire pressure in two of my tires (laughs) is sitting at about 15. So... In really all aspects, we're running on empty here, Sean. Yeah, you've got nothing left except uh, whatever you do have left, we're going to pour into the podcast. So let's dive in to your first tournament back covering the PGA Tour in person. Yeah, the U.S. Open. <laughs> going straight to the big time Yeah, a major championship this week. Did you have any like revelatory conclusions about... You know, I guess the, your first experience being back out there again. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, it feels like the entire landscape of the future of golf is now changed, but we'll get to that. I think being on site, well, it was interesting. Yeah, this was my first tournament back. First of all, I had to get screened, and the USGA is not as fast as the PGA Tour huh. in terms of their testing. I got tested first thing Monday morning, first one in line. 7 a.m. Wow. And I didn't get approved to be on site until 9 or 10 a.m. on Tuesday. Mm. So this was over 24 hours. (laughs) The readers, no doubt, were sitting at home saying, uh, guys, where is the content? But, yeah, but they actually did test you. The PGA Tour has not been testing uh, writers and media members at every single site. That must be why it's faster. Yeah, that's part of the reason why it's faster. Either way, I think it's great that they actually tested you. It's it's a thing that you're not nervous about. You know, I've really been hunkered down. You're not nervous about it until you actually, you know, are waiting for that test and then the thoughts start to creep into your mind. But I have received a negative entry test and a negative exit test, so I'm feeling pretty good in that way. What did you find at Winged Foot when you were finally able to be on the grounds? Oof. I mean, it changed every day, the feeling of the golf course based on the wind based on the rough, based on the conditions. Um, I think early in the week, guys were a little bit spooked at how difficult it was. Uh, You know, I mean, there's all kinds of rumors that you hear throughout the week. Someone was saying, oh, Tiger went to the the USGA and said, oh, yeah, this is playing a little bit too hard. (laughs) Is that true? No idea. But there was definitely a sense early in the week that – that it was going to be playing really hard. They cut the rough a little bit. They made it a little more of this this graduated rough where it was a little shorter near the fairway. I feel like that ended up playing a huge role. And then Thursday was just not what Wingfoot yeah. planned isn't it, on. Isn't it incredible how Monday through Wednesday it was like, it's going to be so hard. The rough is a foot long. Like, I lose this ball and that ball, and you don't get good lies in the rough. And then all of a sudden on Thursday, Justin Thomas shoots 65 with a bogey and made it look kind of easy. He did. So there's something broken in that. And I think it happens at just about every major where we go to a site we haven't been to in a long time. We find the thing that will be the most different about it compared to the normal PGA Tour stops. And we just try and heighten the fact that, wow, five inches of rough is pretty crazy. Here was my feeling was we really wanted this U.S. Open to be (laughs) differentiated in some way from every other PGA Tour event. I mean, like Rory McIlroy has talked this year about, you know, honestly, all the events sort of feel the same. When there's no fans, you know, there's no real 
atmosphere. There's no sense that, oh, I'm in Columbus, Ohio versus San Francisco versus, you know, uh, New Orleans. Instead, it's just fanless tournament after fanless tournament. These guys are spending even more time in their rental houses or hotels than they usually do. Um, So everything's kind of blending together. And with the U.S. Open, the one way that they could differentiate is, oh, it's going to be really hard. The scores are going to be really high. Uh, and they needed that tangible thing, you know, to really point to to say, look, this is a U.S. Open. This is not just a PGA Tour event. Yeah. And it's such a fine line, right? It because really is. The minute you get to uh, everybody in the field shoots over par for the day, then you're going to have critics. Yeah. But once you get to 20 guys shoot under par for the day, then you have critics the other way. So you are having to dial in this course to such a tight range. Yeah that it's really difficult it feels like it feels like a can't win proposition if you're asking me but you know when you look at pebble beach last year and there was pretty much no wind throughout most of the week and gary woodland wins at 13 under but if there was high winds if there was even 15 mile per hour winds like like they had this week at, Wing, at Wingfoot, gary woodland probably wins at like eight under or mm-hmm. nine under and if there was no wind at Wingfoot. Bryson Shambo maybe wins at like 10 under or something like yeah. that. I don't know. All I'm saying is that sometimes the USGA can do all they, they can do, and, you know, it's up to the players to kind of decide whether the putts go in or the putts don't go in. Like, yeah. I mean, we didn't have an open hands. championship this year, but that's always the thing there, right? They just set up the course, and they sort of say, you know, the weather will be what it will be, the scores will be what they are, and, you know, go play. All right. And well, there's a different expectation. We'll we'll get to to Bryson later on uh, in a second, but first I want to talk about Jordan Spieth. Let's talk about Jordan Spieth. Really, you want to talk about Jordan Spieth because you had a front row seat to a couple different things: a range session, his first round seventy three, and then uh, what was the second round eighty one? Seventy three, eighty one. It it would appear that. We are at rock bottom with Jordan Spieth's ability to play professional golf. But I don't know that that's certain, and I'm curious what your conclusion on his week was. Well, yeah, let's start with saying he's what? He's 27 years old still, right? So there is plenty of time for this talented young man to right the ship. But at the moment, he looks so troubled hitting a driver. And one thing that really stuck with me is actually our colleague Michael Bamberger asked Spieth, essentially, why don't you stop playing golf swing and start playing golf? Why don't you, you know, just swing more freely and and just sort of be an athlete? And Jordan's answer was more or less, if I just swing the golf club, things go very wrong. You know, there was this moment where Spieth was hitting balls next to Dustin Johnson during one of the practice rounds, and he was looking longingly at DJ just stepping up and ripping driver. And, you know, he watched him hit like two in a row. And meanwhile, Spieth is taking a minute to hit every single driver just on the range, stepping over it, kind of twitching, adjusting his stance. He reminded me of my favorite shortstop growing up, Nomar Garcia-Para, who always had this (laughs) wild uh, batting stance routine. Anyway, Spieth shoots 73-81. He's very open about his struggles. Kudos to him. He's always a pleasant guy to deal with, honestly, as a media member. Some props for that. And uh, 
he was friendly on the course too. He was chatty with Patrick Reed. Appears to be friendly he with feels, Patrick he Reed. He looks like he's comfortable with what's happening and what's happening. You know, whether or not he's aware of the discussion surrounding him, what's happening is that he can barely hit a fairway and he's, his putter no longer saves him and he's no longer one of the 10 best ball strikers on the planet. And he seems to have come to grips with the process. He has bought in to the process and he said, I'm going to, to grind. I'm not going to stop grinding. I will never stop grinding. And I was actually kind of enthused by him saying it because I liked that. I thought maybe there was something therapeutic for him to say, yeah, I'm a little lost right now. It's not working. You know, it's not a good feeling to step over the ball and not know where it's going. And it it felt like he there was some sort of release in that for him, I think. Is it irresponsible for me to ask you what you think he should do next because I think that it's so easy for people in our situation to be prognosticators yeah and to say oh Cam McCormick his coach he's got to go or Mm -hmm. Michael Greller should get off the bag or like is it irresponsible to try and say hey Jordan I think this is the thing missing I don't know for sure but one thing that I would definitely advise him to at least try would be to go I don't know, maybe three weeks without seeing his golf swing on video. Right now, he looks at every single golf oh. swing he makes on the range. He'll have uh, Michael Greller film it, or his coach Cam McCormick film it, or he'll film it himself, and then he'll go check it out on his phone and see you know, how his positions look. And that's the kind of stuff that gets guys stuck on the mini tours all the time. Like mm. That is not what these best pros do. He needs to get to the point where, to Bamberger's question, he can swing the club and something good will happen because, you know, you can't do it every time. You can't manufacture your golf swing every single time, especially under pressure. Oh, man. I got anxious just listening Oof. to you talk about All right. Let, so let's let's talk. Let's make this transition here because it really felt early in the week like there were some storylines that needed wrapping up that were from a little bit of a different era, right? Start with Brooks Kepka, who wasn't even there, who has been the – major killer mm-hmm. the last few Mr. years. Mr. Major. Tiger Woods, who's still the defending Masters champion. You know, how is he going to look? Ultimately, not particularly inspiring. Phil Mickelson returning to Wingfoot, starting with two birdies <laughs> through two holes and shooting an opening 79. Uh-huh. That storyline also passed. Maybe Phil has played in his last U.S. Open. That That's a, a question for another time, I guess. Yeah. But then we moved on to what really feels like the next wave of golf i was uh i was just thrilled to to see this leaderboard crop into something where you knew whatever major whatever, whoever won this tournament it was going to be a substantial like career defining thing whether it was patrick reed winning his second major and saying hi to all the haters justin thomas you know adding a little bit of credibility to his 11 career or however 13 career I don't even know how many tour wins he has at this point but getting that second major and kind of further putting his like career ascendance uh, on a different playing level than everyone else uh Bryson DeChambeau winning his first major and adding credibility to what he's doing Matthew Wolf at you know stepping up to the plate where Colin Morikawa is taking the lead as far as the 21 and 22 year olds go uh, I was thrilled by what we were seeing, what was going to be out there. You could even throw Xander Shoffley into the mix. 
Um, and what was, I think, coolest for me was, like, we saw we saw the um, the top two or three change each day. Like, at first it felt mm-hmm. like it was Bryson versus Patrick Reed, and then it was all of a sudden, like, Bryson versus Rory, potentially, and, like, throw Justin Thomas's name into the mix. And then all of a sudden it was Bryson versus Matthew Wolf, and, like, no one else was involved. And so it, it felt like Bryson advanced through, like, the final four like he he faced like some of the best competitors in the ncaa tournament and he won each and every time and uh, eventually you got like a front row seat to seeing him to seal the deal yeah i mean he just didn't make that many mistakes he zero double bogeys he had an excellent plan for the golf course and he executed that plan i mean there's more to it than that but ultimately bryson was in control of his game all week once the tournament started when did it become clear that bryson was going to win at winged foot because i'll tell you what <laughs> for a guy who won by six yeah it the the clarity that he was going to win by six did not happen until very very late it sure didn't happen early in the week because during his practice rounds bryson was apparently just spraying driver all <laughs> over the place you know he hit one tee shot he, he does some experimenting but he hit one tee shot that hit a tree you know, about 30 yards off the tee. When <laughs> his driver went about 30 yards and, you know, hit this tree right away. So there was no indication early in the week that he was dialed in enough to win this U.S. Open. Even as far as, what, Sunday morning. I mean, being a, a pro prognosticator, I did tell you that he would win and that Matt Wolf would shoot 75 on Sunday. Not to brag, but... <laughs> Uh, but it was not at all clear that Bryson would, was going to win, and and then suddenly things really turned. Was it the ninth hole? Well, the ninth hole was definitely a point of emphasis. Bryson and Matt Wolf had just each made bogey on number eight. Things were starting to get a little bit tighter together. Louis Oosthuizen, uh, Xander Shoffley were both back within three both shots at of the even lead, par, maybe. yeah. Yeah, and Bryson was suddenly at three under. Wolf was at two under. And then you see two booming tee shots down number nine. Uh, I think Bryson hit it maybe 375. Three, no, 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 no. 374 for Bryson. Matt Wolf immediately follows him, 388. Yeah, pumped it. He pumped it past Bryson a few times. And then Matt Wolf hit it closer than Bryson also. But then Bryson had this ticklish. 25 30 footer i think it was even longer i think it was 39 feet. maybe even longer and i was standing right behind it and normally i mean we get so spoiled we're used to being inside the ropes at these things you can't be inside the ropes anymore so i was outside the ropes but standing right behind bryson so you can see the ball feeding down around the slopes wing foot screens are really cool that way it's like man that that really looks like it's on a good line He's got the speed figured out perfectly. Look at this. How about that? Driver wedge eagle on the par five. Impressive. And then it just disappears into the hole. There's no reaction whatsoever. Even from him. Bryson doesn't react. There's no real volunteers right around the ninth green, so there is not much applause, and there's none of the houses that you see somewhere other parts of the course where, you know, Rick Pitino and his pals are cheering. So it was just this really weird thing where it's a momentous eagle putt that Bryson has just made. No reaction. That would have shook the grounds. 
it's easy to say and it's cliche to say at this point now because we know there are no spectators but that putt would have been heard miles around the course all of a sudden he's five under par Matt Wolf miraculously then makes his own eagle putt, but it still feels like, you know, he was hoping to pick up a shot there. Mm -hmm. Instead, he just maintains. uh, And it was Wolf's only under par hole for the day. Yes. Didn't make a birdie. Zero birdies, one eagle, and I guess, you know, a number of bogeys and I think a double bogey or two, uh, which played, I think, into Bryson's hand. Bryson shot 34 on the back nine. He made a birdie on 11 or 12 I can't even remember and played just the kind of golf that I think that he wants to play down the stretch in theory when there's pressure just suffocating golf you can't yeah. you can't hit it further than him and he's going to hit you know just about every green whether or not he hits the fairway he's not going to get in trouble his dispersion rate is really tight and he's one of the best putters on the planet and it completely suffocates your ability, especially at a difficult golf course, to pick up any ground on him. On a course like Wingfoot, where a there's no major water hazards like there would be at like yes. TPC Sawgrass, and b there's no forced carries on your approach shots, it makes it easy to run the ball up, mm-hmm. and that's what Bryson was able to do: hit it in the rough, hit an approach shot that would you know bounce short and run up if need be. So he hit a bunch of greens or got in position, took the big mistakes out of play, and he just here, I mean, suffocating is a good word for it because he didn't have to make anything happen. So he just settled into that routine of making par, par, par. Uh, and all of a sudden, he had the best round of the day going. The one thing I did want to mention is just how focused he was yeah. on that back nine. He was dialed in. He was in intentionally it seemed like walking ahead of Matt Wolf in the fairways and he was practicing his breathing every time he would get too excited it seemed like he was doing some deep breathing to keep himself calm uh, I mean it was fascinating to watch because there seemed to be such intentionality behind it yeah it felt like a it felt like a game plan in the most visual sense out there for someone like you who's outside the ropes but very close to be able to see like you could say okay wow that's exactly what he wants to be doing right now i think what might have been surprising to some people is that bryson's game like he he showed shots that we didn't think he had he showed some incredible touch with the short game both from the rough and the fairway his irons and his uh around the green like wedge shots were more efficient than his driver and his putter this week. That's something that will get lost. We will remember his bombing at winged foot, but he picked up more strokes on the field with his wedges and his irons than his driver and his putter. His speed was down a little bit this week. His speed was down. It it felt like he he knew how to beat up winged foot, and he also felt like he knew how to throttle down once he knew he was winning the fight. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. I mean – By the time he got to 18, it was, you know, more than done with. So where were you when he's on 18, nursing a six-shot lead? I was around the left side of the green, kind of looking over the green itself. There were a lot of volunteers now. They tried to keep the volunteers dispersed throughout the week, but by the time they got to the 18th green, people were really packed into some areas around there. Uh, You know, there were some aggressive security guards who were kind of trying to do their jobs, but didn't really work anyway 
I was hanging out for that awkward moment when Bryson made his putt, which was pretty cool for par. Got a big fist pump in. But Matt Wolf, I guess this is, you know, he's still a rookie major player. Yeah. Didn't putt out first, which is what he should have done. But <laughs> so it goes. Bryson had a chance then to really uh, to really take in that moment. He was a major champ, and uh, I was standing right with his team. And, you know, Bryson sometimes seems like he has a million guys with him on the range yeah. when, you know, he's getting dialed in at a PGA Tour event. But really, it is a tight team. There's there's Brett, who's his agent. Uh, there's Connor, who's his manager, who's been, you know, one of his friends since seventh grade from mm-hmm. Fresno. Uh, there's Chris Como, yes. who's his... Friend know, of the podcast. Friend of the pod, Drop Zone guest, who has been instrumental in really this whole revamp. And then there's Mike Shy, who has been uh, Bryson's longtime swing coach. He works, you know, in tandem with Chris Como. Um, and so it's just a tight crew that was there uh, greeting Bryson. And then, you know, Tim Tucker, of course, his caddy was alongside him the whole way. Bryson immediately got emotional. He saw his parents on the, the Cisco WebEx uh, greeting when he came out of the out of the scoring tent um it was just it was an emotional scene from a guy that we're not used to seeing much emotion from bryson we are thrilled to present the historic u.s open trophy given to every champion since 1895 you may now raise the u.s open trophy just making sure the top's on Thank you. How weird was it to be looking over the shoulder of the U.S. Open champion minutes, seconds after he's won, and to be a fly on the wall at a spectator-free major championship? It was really interesting because, you know, I decided that that was going to be my story for the afternoon was, okay, what happens to Bryson after he wins Mm -hmm. you know once it became clear that he was gonna win i was interested you know yeah a what does the celebration look like in the COVID era and b what does the celebration look like for bryson himself because he's such a singular cat and i was blown away by just the number of obligations that you have to go through that's interesting so let's just run through that really quick i mean those are the first few things that happened but after he talked to his parents you know, of course, on national television, he had to have this intimate conversation, which was tricky. Then he went back out by the 18th green for uh, the trophy ceremony, which was very funny. He had to like present himself with the trophy. Um, <laughs> he spoke a little bit. Mike Davis introduced the the uh, USGA's president. He spoke a little bit. Then it's picture time. Bryson does this whole photo shoot with the trophy in multiple different locations. Uh, he thanks some of the staff. Then he goes and starts to do uh, some media. He talks to just the general press, our peers. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes back and does more media because there's Sirius XM. There's a sit down with Golf Channel. Uh, he talks to the Rolex people. He talks to the good folks at the USGA. Today Show. And then that's all before we go inside the Wingfoot Clubhouse, oh, which is really interesting. And, you know, at this point, 
at a certain point in the week, some of the rules break down a little bit of, you know, if you're, if you're kind of with the band, then you can uh, make your way certain places that you wouldn't have been able to earlier in the week. Uh, so he does a couple more. Yeah, these Rolex, he does a quick thing with the Barstool guys. We go inside the Wingfoot Historic Clubhouse. You know, it's funny. We were walking in. He pointed out a couple of his SMU teammates who had won the four mm-hmm. ball at Wingfoot. Um, and so there were just these little moments that were really cool to see. And then he goes in this dark room where they have this cool set set up and, and then runs through, again, Golf Channel with Todd Lewis. He does something with the PGA Tour. Then there's the Today Show, CNN. It's like one after another, oh. after another, after another. And his manager, Connor, eventually is like, all right, we got to get this guy some food. Yeah. Oh, steak, little potatoes. I didn't eat very many potatoes. I just wanted the, the meat. I'm going to finish that off here in just a little bit. Got some pizza, organe. Bryson orders up a filet, heads to the grill room for a second. And uh, that's actually where I'm we. Glad did. winning didn't change him. I know. That's where we caught up with him. Or I caught up with him, I should say. He's not a he's not a drinker. He's not a boozer. So he the, he's not a guy that's immediately going to go for a beer at the bar after his celebration. Uh, I was just curious if you know he thinks about inspiring other people. And now that he has had all this success, you know, he's aware that other people are going to be curious about his process. And so I just wanted to know. Okay, some people are going to suddenly say, "I want to do what Bryson's doing." Uh, how should I do it? And so I asked him about that. For gaining strength, I would say definitely you got to go into the gym. You got to work out, but you have to be careful. You have to have somebody that's knowledgeable, like Greg Roskop, MAT, uh, to make sure that your body's being taken care of from a neurological standpoint. Um, and then you got to have somebody, you know, that's like Chris that knows the golf swing. I mean, not, not everybody's going to be like Chris, not everybody's going to be like Greg, but at least if you can think, um, of a way to get better, whether it's swinging it harder or whatever, don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid to fail. Failure is what creates success. You can only have success with previous failures. So that's what I would uh, tell everybody. Hopefully inspire people to work as hard as you possibly can and fail a lot because through failure comes success. All right, so you talk with Bryson. Did you get to eat? Did you eat the steak too? Dude, no. Long story (laughs) short, when I got back to my hotel, I found I had a flat, flattish tire in my car. Went to the mobile station. Eventually, wound up Uber eating an omelet from the diner down the street at about uh, 2 a.m. Oh no! Seeing these guys hanging around, everyone was just so happy. And it's one of those things where there wasn't necessarily this massive party. You know, no one was getting rip roaring drunk at the wingfoot bar or anything but you know tim tucker had a coors light and just seemed like the happiest guy in the world <laughs> brett and como and and all these guys were just i don't know genuinely happy the usga guys seemed relieved that the event went off so well especially you know after thursday there were kind of mixed reviews but mm-hmm. overall it felt like okay this is our new champion and this has kind of been in the works for a long time yeah this is our new champion this was our tournament and there really isn't an, any asterisk or anything that we have to explain about it other than he won by six he dominated on sunday and it was a pretty darn successful week that was the last thing you could say about bryson right oh he hasn't done it in a major 
And even that was a dumb argument because he oh. only played one major since his whole revamp anyway at the PGA Championship where he finished in a tie for fourth. And now there's, you know, he's he's sparking debates about the future of golf because yeah. he hits it far because he plays this different style, but he's good at everything. When Martin Keimer won at Pinehurst by eight, people were really impressed. Clinical golf. But Bryson winning by six at winged foot should scare the hell out of people. Mm-hmm. Martin Keimer didn't scare the hell out of people. Tiger winning by 12 at Augusta scared the hell out of people. And I think Bryson is a slight derivative of Tiger winning by 12. You know, he did this at the USGA's one of their crown jewels, one of the toughest courses in the world. He made it look, relatively speaking, easy. The only thing that uh, that I would like to close with is that we told you so. I mean, we hosted a podcast on this exact topic mm-hmm. in late June. It is called, it is titled, Bryson DeChambeau is Changing Golf. And uh, you should go back and listen to that because I'm sure it will probably be pretty fun to look back at right now. Uh, Feels yeah. good to be right every now and again, Sean. That's the perfect place to leave it with us being right at least once. Um, that's going to do it for this week's episode of The Drop Zone. Thanks so much to Lee Finer, who expertly produced this week's episode. Thanks to Sean, who got up an extra 30 minutes to uh, sit in the cell phone lot at JFK to record this episode. And most of all, thanks to you, the listeners. We'll see you next week.